Japan is full of history, both factual and mythological, and we want to share these stories with you. I will be jumping around the history of Japan to find stories both interesting and fantastical. I'm your host, Thomas. And I'm your co-host, Heather. We've both lived in Japan now for over two years and have learned so many interesting tales to tell. We'll also be reading a Japanese song or poem for you in Japanese, and we'll discuss the poet and meaning behind these songs. And with that out the way, Heather, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Have to take my bracelets off, otherwise they're gonna keep jingling. So I have to apologize first, Heather. Okay. I'm sorry. Why? There was there was too much research for the thing we wanted to do this week. Hence, I'm changing up the episode to Ooh. something a little different. We're gonna be back in mythology today, at least for this week. I started the research for the episode we were gonna do. Need to do a bit more, and then I can finally do it next week for us. Okay. So, go I think if you find something good and interesting, let's do it. Rock on. So, what I wanted to do was carry on from episode three. Oh. So we had episode one where Japan was created. We had episode two where the goddess then died. She went to Yomi. Her husband came to try and free her. Ran away from her in terror. Struck his pose with his peaches, which you loved,、mm. and then after that went into the Tachiban River to cleanse himself from the filth of Yomi. So I want to pick up from there at least briefly, and then move on to the short story. It's, it's another short story I've got, like a small bit of mythology. It ties in from episode three, so I just wanted to continue from that story, basically. <laughs> What are you doing? What's happening? You mentioned something. And now I have to write it down because it's going to transition fantastically into my poem later. And you said it, and I went, "Oh, excuse me, I'm going to try to quietly get my pencil and my notebook." So yeah, let me just write that down. Okay, now let me react to you. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Are we going to talk about peaches? Uh, there's not going to be any peaches. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that a better reaction that time? <laughs> <laughs> What instead of just like. Silence. <laughs> I, I was trying to quietly get the pencil. Like, well, it didn't work, did it? No, it did not. Please enlighten me. Let's go. So to to basically carry on the story. So he left Yomi. He was covered in the filth of Yomi, and Izanagi wanted to basically cleanse himself of the the grime from the world of the dead. So he gets into the Tachibana River, where he cleanses himself. He finds the perfect spot in the river. Like certain places,、um, the river is too fast. Certain places, the river is too slow. So he finds the perfect spot and he submerges himself. And a bit like when we talked about when the fire god was killed, more and more gods kept appearing out of his dead body. Similarly, this happens with Izanagi. So he cl- he cleans himself at the bottom of the river, creates certain gods,、oh. cleanses himself in the middle of the river. More gods are made, and then also. When he floats on the surface of the river to clean himself, yet more gods are produced. But I don't want to get into those gods. I want to talk about the three that he makes after this has happened. 
So we're going back to the Kojiki and the Nihongi for this hmm. mythology. Just trying to figure out exactly how dirty do you have to be to at three separate points to have to cleanse yourself at the bottom, the middle, and the top. Like, what did he do? Well, I think. Well, obviously, he was in the land of the dead. Therefore,、mm. the implication is everything is dead, everything is rotting, everything is decaying.、Mm. Some of basically. However, you also have to think that up until this point, you know, humans haven't been made really at this point, or maybe they started to be made. But Izanami was basically the first goddess to die and go to Yomi. So、mm. how full it was of death and decay. We'll never know. However, if you are gonna have to clean yourself that badly in a river, there is the implication that it was already full of a lot and of death. Okay, so she was the so no other、uh, gods or goddesses had died to this point except for her. So in the mythology, she is the first one that is said to die, soon followed by the her son, the god of fire,、okay. who is an Aggie, kills in his anger that that the child killed his wife. Other gods do die. In the mythologies later, which we'll get into, but there are also other ones that just descend there to live. But again, that is something we can get into at a later date. So yeah, he's made all these gods. Now,、um, are these major gods, minor gods? Are they evil, neutral, good, ambivalent, animalistic, humanoid, centipede? <laughs> centipede. We had a giant centipede a while back, so you know, maybe it was a god too. Because of the nature of his cleansing, cleansing away the death and dirt from Yomi, several of these gods were seen as the manifestation of like calamity, evil occurrences, curses, and defilement. So he cleans the dirt off; it becomes its own being, and it is a yeah, it is a manifestation of the. Evils of Yomi. There are others, however, which are the complete opposite. You have others which were then like spirits of good fortune, purity, propriety, and there was even one that the naming of the spirit is quite interesting. It, which was Izunome, and Izunome we can translate as holy woman. So、hmm. it wasn't actually the name of a spirit. So there's some people who think that perhaps this being that was made from His cleaning was not potentially a Shinto spirit, but was more of a medium of some kind who、hmm. could, with like associations of carrying out healing through exorcisms, that kind of thing. Oh,、um, so it's interesting that he's also made gods, but there some of them, like people have interpreted, of he's just made powerful beings that aren't quite gods. Now the Izanomi. Could she possibly tie in somehow to like the origin of like shrine maidens, perhaps? Why you gotta ask me these questions? I don't know. <laughs> so that's gonna be something. I'm gonna write that down right now, Heather. Yes, yes. Thank you for telling me instead of just staring at me like I did to you. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna write that down right now and do some research and get back to you because that's actually quite a good question. <laughs> oh, thank you. Good. I was. Oh, she's a medium and she does exorcisms and. Hmm. These origins are are Shinto based, correct? Yes, this、okay. is the Shinto mythologies of Japan's creation. Okay, Shinto it does have the shrine maidens, correct? I know sometimes I'm not always great with the religions, so <laughs>、uh, they have priestesses.、Mm. Yeah, um, like the Ise Grand Shrine, which is the most famous one, is historically 
the head priestess there is always a princess of the imperial family. Ah. So, moving on to the final three spirits that he makes. As we said before, the Kojiki and the Nihongi, at times they agree, sometimes they disagree on the mythology. So there's a few different origins of these next three gods. And they're basically the gods of the sun, Amaterasu, and the god of the moon, Tsukiyomi, and their other brother, Susanoo. Now, one origin story is after he's cleansed himself, Izanagi takes a... yeah. Izanagi takes a white copper mirror in his left hand, and from this mirror comes the sun goddess, Amaterasu. In his right, he holds a similar mirror, and from it comes the moon god, and... Their evil brother, Susanoo, comes into being after he turns his attention elsewhere and looks basically askance at something, thus creating that god. The other one, which is quite similar in that it uses left and right, is that he washes his left eye, creating the sun goddess, he washes his right eye, creating the god of the moon, and for Susanoo to come into being, he blows his nose, thus creating that <laughs> god. Oh, you're... How, how sad would it be your origin story? Well, I uh, blew his nose and here I am. What's oh, <laughs> a sad origin story? <laughs> um, <laughs> so finally we have the two gods which I actually want to talk about today. The sun goddess and the moon god. This story is about Amaterasu and her brother, the moon god. So the story goes that Amaterasu and Tsukiyomi are dwelling up in heaven. And during their time there, Amaterasu learns of a deity living down on, well, down in Japan called uh, Ukemochi. Ukemochi basically became a fascination in a way for Amaterasu, so she decides to send her brother, the moon god Tsukiyomi, down to Earth to, to, you know, basically wait upon her, see what her needs are, see if she needs help, that kind of thing. So he descends back to, back to Japan, back to the land of the living, and... She's very grateful that he's here, and so she decides to prepare him a, a feast as like a welcome and a thank you for being here. Okemochi produces this feast by basically expelling the food from her own body. She turns her head towards the land, which causes boiled rice to come from her mouth. She turns to the sea, and creatures which have fins come from her mouth, so basically fish. She turns to the mountains and causes animals of rough and soft hair to be created, which come from her mouth. And she takes all these creations and serves them at a big feast for Tsukiyomi's arrival. Now, Tsukiyomi was both angered and offended at how she had prepared this food for the feast, and so he decides to kill her and return back to heaven to relay these events to his sister. Wait, you know, why does the phrase, you shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, occur to me? I don't blame him for not really being excited for having a feast with food that she essentially spit out. But would you kill someone if they did that? No. That seems a bit too far. That's... that. That's far. Yeah, that should, there's, yeah, that's far. Wouldn't do that. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm happy to know that. I can... I, <laughs> yeah. But still, you, you know... Okay. Keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. So, Tsukiyomi returns to heaven, which in Japanese is called Takamagahara. And he relays the message to his sister of what transpired. You know, she made this food. She... She spat it on the table at me and made me try and eat it, so I killed her. And understandably, his sister's quite angry by this. 
So she basically, in her anger, she sends him away. Like she doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. And basically she calls him wicked. She doesn't want to be near her brother anymore. And because she sends him away, that is the origin of day and night. And I don't blame her for sending him away. I think it's quite an interesting origin story to day and night. I have another question I'm not sure you might be able to answer. So generally in Western culture, from my understanding, the moon is seen as a more feminine object tied more to, you know, that women's cycles and sometimes moods. But it's interesting in this mythology that the moon is male. So, I mean, do the, still the feminine characteristics of the moon still come from, like in Japanese culture, there's still feminine aspects of the moon or is that more of a Western idea? I would say from the research I have done is that I think it's a more Western belief mm. because actually in the mythologies, of Shinto, this is kind of the last time you see the moon god mentioned in these myths. He's not as important as the sun goddess. Like, the stories just say he was created, he moved up to heaven, he ruled the realm of night, he killed this goddess, Amaterasu sent him away. And there's not really any more stories about him, and there's no more aspects given to him. So I, yeah, I think it's more of a western belief than mm. At least the Japanese belief. Hmm. Also, the rabbit in the moon making mochi. Is that from that god or is he, he just uh, happens to be on the moon? There's no mentioning of the rabbit in association with this god. So I think it's an entirely separate creation. And I think the rabbit itself comes from Chinese beliefs hmm. originally. So yeah, they were never like merged together in Japanese mythology, they were always kept separate. Good, because I would not want the rabbit to have killed someone because they didn't like the way the food was prepared. So I'm, I'm really relieved <laughs> for that. <laughs> to finish this story, at least to finish the story of Ukemochi, the goddess that has been sadly killed, Amaterasu, after she sent her brother away, she sends a different... So she sends a, a male deity down to the land, down to Japan, to bring back the things that came from her body because so that she can you know basically utilize them take them and provide them for the people of earth so this god brings back for her the ox the horse the millet the silkworm the rice wheat large beans small beans and even the emotion of panic which is quite interesting there's all these foods and animals but then also the emotion of panic is brought back with them to heaven well to be fair she had to prepare a huge feast and it was all from her body so you know you panicking the amount of things you have to do to get done prepare for a feast it's and she was probably panicking when he came at her with a sword or however he killed her so yeah actually yeah that makes sense a poor woman <laughs> yeah now that amaterasu has all these things she actually rejoices and declares that these will be the things that man will eat and live on and so she plants the first of the rice seedlings in the fields of heaven to start their growth. And she reels with her tongue the first silk from the silkworm, and thus began the art of silk rearing. But at least her death was not in vain. It was not in vain, yes. I really like that story, but I'm conflicted because she had to die but from her death came so many amazing things and then also having this the sun and moon I mean, before 
was everything just one brightness or did the sun and the moon well, kind that's of... that's what's interesting. It, it's up until this point, it's never stated that there is no day and that there is no night. But once this has happened, like the texts tell you and basically day and night was created from this. So I think that up until this happened, there was all, there was perhaps perpetual daylight because the sun goddess was always shining down from heaven. However, before she was born, I'm not sure what there would have been. Hmm. Because as well, like I've said before, in these myths, there's no mythological origin to people being created. Hmm. Like when Izanami and Izanagi get divorced and depart, you know, they have their argument and she says she will kill a thousand people a day. And so he says he will ensure 1500 people a day are created so we know that in a way these are the gods that create people but that's the first time you hear of it there's no like and then they created people so people were around before the sun goddess was born but if they were living in perpetual darkness it doesn't say hmm. or perpetual light or medium light it's a combination or of the sun weird, and the moon like, yeah some weird like dusk or dawn which would be quite beautiful have an extended dusk or dawn it would but yeah, there's no, there's no real answer. But half the time with these myths, there never is. Hmm. That's the beauty of the myths. Hmm. You just accept and it's always more interesting. On. Like when you start picking them apart, I always think that's quite interesting. Well, thank you, Thomas. That was that was a really good story. I am so glad you went down a rabbit hole to find it. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, but I'm intrigued as to your segue into your poem for today as apparently i gave you the perfect way to do it you did indeed um well the poem i chose this week i wanted to do because talking about cleansing in the river oddly enough the poem i picked today has information about cleansing rites in it as well and as soon as you oh. said cleansing i i went what wait a minute we did not plan this that is so cool. I picked the poem because I it's the getting towards the end of summer and I wanted to find a poem that sort of showed that you know the ending of summer, the beginning of fall, it's a little early for me to, to have a fall poem just because it got really hot the past couple days here. It feels like summer again. But okay. the poet I picked today is Fujiwara no Ietaka. And it's a poem from the 100 Poets, One Poem Each. So what do we know about his life? Okay, he is a Waka poet from the Kamakura period, the Kamakura Jidai, which is 1185 to 1333. He was born 1158 and died in 1237. Several of his poems are in the Shinkokin Wakashu. And he also has a personal collection of poetry, and it's called the Gyokuginshu or a collection of, of jeweled songs. And I did not get a lot of information about him. There's not so much because he's not one of the big major poets. He does have a lot of ties to the poets during that period, but like, you know, some of the, the haiku masters, there's not quite as much information that I found at this point. I'm gonna have to keep looking into him, but I did wanna ask you about his name. First of all, his, his last name is Fujiwara, but are you familiar with the word Fuji besides the mountain? No. All I know is Fujiwara is the name of previous poets we've done before. So they're from the same clan, mm -hmm. but Fuji, if it's not the mountain, then I don't know. <laughs> oh, yay, I get to share something new. Okay, so it's one of my 
favorite flowers. Fuji is wisteria. Oh, that's what it is in Japanese. Yeah, and the kanji is actually for wisteria. So there's different kanji for Fuji, the mountain, and different kanji for Fuji, the flower. Same sound, but different kanji. And um, so for those who may not be familiar with wisteria, it's a climbing vine of pink or purple flowers, although I've usually seen purple. There's also a flower park in Tochigi. I can't read my, my computer screen. Ashikaga Flower Park. And I've seen pictures and I've seen posters. You've probably seen it in the train stations for like the, the JR um, travel information, but it's absolutely gorgeous. There's just wisteria everywhere and it's beautiful. The kanji for wisteria, Fuji, is the same kanji used in the Fujiwara name? Yes. Okay. Because his name means wisteria filled or I've also seen wisteria plain. So the ear. Ah, yes, Fujiwara, as in Hara, as in... This is, it's really cool. So I didn't get so much information about him personally, but his name, especially because, like you said, we've had other Fujiwaras, and it is a fairly you know older, common name. So there are quite a few Fujiwara poets. Well, thank you for that. I didn't. I didn't know. I've I've done a lot of research into different Fujiwaras on the website, but I've never looked into the kanji of the name. So that's actually really interesting. Wisteria Plain. I like that. I like that a lot. Hmm. It's beautiful, and I would love to go. I really want to go to that park someday. That may be next spring. Ah, plans. Are you ready for the poem? Of course. Kaze soyoku, nara no ogawa no, yugure wa, misogizo natsu no, shirushi narikeru. And our translation A twilight breeze rustles through the oak leaves of the little oak brook, but the cleansing rites tell us it is still summer. Now, while you're thinking, uh, okay. I talked to the professor. I talked to the professor about this poem last night. Now we didn't look at the original kanji, so we're looking at just the like the romanji or the you know the alphabet written Japanese. It's called romanji, and he pointed out the word misogi, which is an old Japanese word for bathing or washing the body. But it's also in this case, it can be used for asking like forgiveness for God from God or removing or cleansing guilt from the body. And also now okay. is, is also used as a legal term to kind of cleanse guilt from yourself. So the misogi oh, possibly um, was actually part of the beginning of the podcast. He was doing misogi, I'm assuming. So the poem, the cleansing rites you said are something that are only done at the towards the end of summer. Now that I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up as well because there is a like a lot of different things related to misogi. There's misogi for like a ritual purification, the ritual purification, or there's also personal misogi. There's different forms. There's also used looks like in martial arts. There's also you know the waterfall that you do going under the waterfall for the purification. There's different points where you do like the cleansing. So that that could be in itself a, probably its own topic for a podcast. Hmm. I'm trying to, I'm just wondering why seeing people doing the misogi is a reminder that it is summer and not a different season of the year. It could be this particular ritual is done at this time of year. That's a mm. really good question. Because obviously they're saying that standing there within the oak trees at the brook, it's almost a timeless place to be in. And so they need to find other things which tell them what time of year it is and the misogi is the proof they need to say oh 
it's actually summer. Or it could be because they're in twilight and they're still, it's getting cooler, but it's, the leaves are still on the trees. They haven't started falling yet, maybe? Mm, yeah, yeah, I can see that as well. Now, I don't know if this is part of a larger, um, a larger volume or if it's part of his personal collection if it has a poem for or after it because sometimes the meaning could be a little bit different based on what came before it so this poem is just a standalone because this book is one poem each for 100 poets so it's something i would i would love to if i can go do some research grab the professor and go to the library and see if there's anything else beyond that might be interesting plus to see it in the original kanji Sometimes the translations can be a little different, it seems. Um, definitely translating poetry is, yeah, I, I think that's an... It's not an exact science translating poetry, is it? Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of artistry in translating poetry. And I think there's some things that don't translate the same. And there's some things that changes the meaning a little bit. You know, it, it's an art form. I'm still, I'm still studying it. I am such a novice, so. Well, we're learning as we go with this podcast and our own yeah, research. It's quite fun. There's different meanings. People have discussions for hours about what poems mean. And like we said in, in Japan, they could use a word, say, let's go back to using Fuji. They could use the word Fuji and you know, if they use it in hiragana, then, you know, they're very good at using sounds or using words which then have the double meaning. So they could have said Fuji to give you the idea of Mount Fuji, but also of Wisteria. And translating that into English, you would almost lose it because you need the original word to know, oh, he's implying several things from this one thing. And similarly, like we talked about before, the pillow words, like for a Japanese person mentioning a certain place conjures images of winter, mentioning in another place conjures images of purity, but translating that into English as an outsider, we wouldn't know that. So we need all these extra information to understand the real meaning of mm. it. Yeah, and it's amazing just because these poems are so short, but there's so much in them. Like you said, all the different meanings and the different words. One word can change almost the whole meaning, the whole poem. And it's, it's yeah, like you said, it's, it's really exciting to be able to start studying these. And the lovely thing is that there's a very long history of literature in Japan. So it's something that will keep me occupied for mm, years. That's good to know. I hope we're doing this for a long time. I, I hope, if nothing else, we keep learning and keep going down rabbit holes because they're quite exciting. They are, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you for the poem. You're so welcome. But yeah, it was interesting. Like I always say, I feel that that's my default response. Like, well, that was interesting. I'm like, <laughs> and then I have nothing else to say. Well, make... But no, that's because it is. It's interesting. But obviously, I think for most of these poems, you have to then, unless you can immediately look at it and go, oh, this is this kanji. So it's meaning all these things. You have to kind of go back and let it mull over for a while. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. It could be seen this way. Oh, it could be seen that way. Now, I would love to be able to talk poetry over a cuppa with you. That's the right pronunciation, right? Cuppa? Cuppa tea? Cuppa. Yeah, cuppa oh, tea. I, I want to sit with you. I'm sorry about my British English. Sit with you and 
just sit, <laughs> read the poem, and like half an hour later, talk about it again and just have another cup. Yeah, I think it's something it should be done over. Like they used to mm. do. They would have their poetry recitals and they would just discuss the nuances and meanings of poems and things. It would definitely be interesting to do that for those long poems where it's one person and then they reply and then they reply and then they reply. Oh, in yes, form. those are amazing. And I, I've only looked at those a little bit, but oh. I've never looked into it at all, but they are something which I think is really fascinating. Mm, I agree. We just need to use over a cup of tea next time. <laughs> well, I think that's me done for today. All I need to remember to do when we start editing this is I need to put in the outro, because I always forget. <laughs> I need to keep reminding people that, you know, a rate and review on iTunes would be very useful. Please and thank you. Yes, because we definitely want to improve our podcast we want to bring more stories ideas that you might have or things you want to hear about or if you find something amazing share with us because we love learning so many things everything and anything please share and thank you for the poem today i can't wait for the one next week see what you'll see if i can somehow unintentionally cause a segue into whatever you want to talk about i've got my fingers crossed well on that note that's everything from me for today what about you, Heather? Uh, me too. Me too. All right, then. Well, I guess we'll speak to you guys all next week. So until then, matane. Matane. If you enjoy the Japan archives and have an interest in Japanese history and mythology, please be sure to check out our growing database over at historyofjapan.co.uk. We continue to add more to it every week, and you can find the show notes for every episode up on the website too. It's a large undertaking, so please be patient while we try to make a database which all Japanese history lovers can find useful. You can find us over on Twitter at A History of Japan, and if you're on Instagram, you can find us there at Nexus underscore travels. That's N E X U S underscore travels. We also have a Facebook page, which you can find at Japan Archives. All of our social media is different. Also, if you're interested in little slices of life in Japan, be sure to check out my website over at heatheroveryonder.com. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, or have anything you'd love to hear about, head on over to historyofjapan.co.uk and send us a message. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a rating and review over on iTunes. Right now, it's the best place to do so, and it helps us get the word out about this show. Thanks again for listening, guys. Until next time, bye. Matane.